0: this episode is brought to you by the big ears festival taking place from march 21st through 24th 2024 in knoxville and featuring an incredible range of performers from herbie hancock to laurie anderson to kurt vile bigearsfestival.org this episode is brought to you by atomic books atomic is an independent bookstore full of objects made of paper vinyl plastic and various other actual materials at the edge of time specializing in literary comics small press art books and great regional beer at eight bar in the back of the store come to 3620 falls road in hamden or go to atomicbooks.com atomic books literary finds for mutated minds
1: so i think that yeah this 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 album and other albums made me realize that like There's really a main idea when you're listening to a song. It's like, uh, I try to listen to it not like a musician, but just like a person that doesn't know anything about the science of music.
0: This is Essential Tremors. I'm Lee Gardner. I'm Matt Byers. The idea behind this show is to have musicians and other creators talk about songs that shaped who they are. We're not looking for favorite songs, necessarily. We're also not looking for songs that they'd choose to take with them if they were stranded on a desert island. What we're looking for are songs that have significance to them. Songs that might have changed the course of their creative lives or their lives in general.
2: They said to get up, get out, and get something If you broke, they gon' treat you like you nothing I check my credit card bill, it hit the max again I'm at the union for musicians and they taxing him Matter of fact, they won't even let me in the door How toast of the town living like he poor Nowadays, really hard to make a honest living And I ain't even got a plan, all I got is rhythm While the rose petals still fall Waiting for the call, for a lighter thing. It's time to write a thing. I'm sitting in my room trying to light the gloom. I gotta write a thing. Hate to sound as though I'm complaining.
0: Born in Seattle, Washington in 1982. Oberlin Conservatory trained jazz musician Kassa Overall has collaborated with numerous musical luminaries, including Vijay Iyer, Ravi Coltrane, Das Racist, and Yoko Ono. Described by fellow drummer Terry Lynn Carrington as a, quote, preeminent style bender and blender, successfully juxtaposing genres through his production expertise and use of melodic and harmonic forms that deftly integrate the new with the old. Overall will perform at the Big Ears Festival in Knoxville, Tennessee in March of
2: 2024.
0: The first song Overall chose as being formative for him was But Not For Me by Ahmad Jamal.
1: So uh, yeah, so that album, there's an album by Jamal called Live at the Pershing. It's a live record. And it's said to have been influential on Miles Davis's approach to, uh, you know, minimalism or simplicity or the the cool school, however you want to look at it. But uh, what I learned about music mainly from that first song being a huge influence is the connection between playing the drums and uh, production or hip-hop production specifically because when it comes to making beats or producing there's a certain amount of space you have to leave for the front person you know for the rapper and there's also, you have to be very intricate about when you add a new sound or a feel or bring in this or that. It's like this very meticulous kind of approach. And once I really dove deep into But Not For Me and that album as a whole, I learned that like people have been doing that before MPC-2000s existed and before, you know what I'm yeah. saying? <laughs> like Like the whole idea of like... Uh, crafting or producing a performance just from the drum set. You know, whether you're playing brushes or playing the cymbal really light, and doing the, you know, crash, doing a crash cymbal on the Adam to four after like three choruses in this very specific spot. You know, that was kind of what I took away from that that song, and it changed the way I played drums, and it also informed the way I produced. And I think it kind of just made a connection for me, you know. Uh,
3: when would you have, uh, when would you have heard this?
1: Well, I can't remember the first time I heard the, the song, but I do remember this was early on at Oberlin, when I was at Oberlin Conservatory, either freshman or sophomore year. And we were just listening to records like that's when that was a, to- a period of my life where we would just be listening to records on repeat. And uh, I can't remember who it was, but there was a piano player and a bass player. We were planning to do a performance at the school of the full album, top to bottom, note for note, you know what I mean? Like college stuff.
3: Right, right. (laughs) Uh, I went back and listened um, uh, in preparation for talking to you. And I hadn't, hadn't, uh, you know, I know uh, Ahmad Jamal's music some, but I hadn't heard that album. before I have to say um, and mm-hmm. that's the first thing that jumped out at me was the amount of space um, in uh, that track but you know throughout the record and I mean I guess you know that was one of the things that uh, made him innovative and um, um, and the drums were frankly were so forward sounding on that recording which seemed, unusual for what i guess the 50s late 50s forward sounding
1: like in the mix like very present in the upfront yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah it's yeah, kind of like yeah. it reminds me of a, a hip-hop production or something where the drums are like right right there you know what i mean and yeah you're correct
3: right right um and i'm curious i mean uh, you know a, a lot of uh, uh your music at least the music that i'm familiar with is uh, is is funny. It, it's like it, um, it feels, um, not minimal, but it feels like there aren't a ton of pieces to it. It's like, it feels like there are, um, not many elements, but they're being used in a really effective way. I don't know if that makes any sense. So, uh, c- I'm curious if you could talk about maybe how, um, uh, maybe some of these lessons carried forward into your own work.
1: Yeah, I think that, um, Yeah, some of my music, it definitely takes on that approach. And I would say also that like, when I'm when I'm making the music, when I'm making music the way I would like to make it, it sounds like that, you know, because you can in this day and age with computers and whatnot, you have unlimited tracks, you have unlimited hard drive space, you can get any synth sound, virtual or otherwise, you know, and um, so. I think that, yeah, this 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 album and other albums made me realize that like there's really a main idea. When you're listening to a song, it's like uh, I try to listen to it not like a musician, but just like a person that doesn't know anything about the science and technical of music. They're not going like, oh, that's the bass and that's the drum and that's the hi-hat and that's the you know what I mean? It's just this one thing. They like this thing. And so um when I'm making music, I try to turn a certain part of my brain off and be able to analyze it as such. So it's like, what's the idea? And like what else needs to be there to confirm that idea or to what needs to be there to Bounce off of so you can see this idea clearly. Um, a couple other elements to that. Um, you know, one of my main uh, influences or one of my main approaches to making music came from dealing with beat machines and sampler sequencers. So, what that means is you could have a orchestra piece or you could have a a big band record or you could have something that's numerous pieces and you'll sample it and that becomes one sound right and so you you have you have songs that you've made that may be like some kind of kick and snare some kind of sample and some lyrics you know and it's like four elements but those four elements inside those four elements maybe many more elements but it's just the way you boil it down the way you cook it down so i think that um i try to hold on to that even when i'm dealing with more technology
0: The second piece of music overall chose as being essential to forming his sensibilities was Rebirth of Slick, Cool Like That, by Diggable Planets.
1: Okay, so um, I picked Rebirth of Slick by Diggable Planets. Uh, This song and the album came out in 93. I believe it was in 93. Um, And it was highly influential on me as a musician. Um, It's interesting now that I'm thinking about this. Things that often influenced me greatly are things that show me how to connect dots because I had a musical world that was very separated in different ways. You know, like I I mentioned making beats, but the beat machines ended up downstairs in the basement and the drum set was upstairs in the living room by the piano. You know, and it's like these two different worlds. And uh, even making beats versus writing raps. I'm rapping over other people's beats and then I'm making beats for other rappers and all these just different worlds. And um I think that when I look back today on Rebirth of Slick and the the whole album, uh, the whole album Reaching, um, it was another thing that showed me like these worlds might not be as separated as they feel to me. You know, and uh the whole idea or not the whole idea but one of the one of the personalities of Dickable Planets one of their planets was like they're like these new jazz cats you know they were like they were hip hop and they were rappers but they were also like heavily influenced by their elders you know and you have that philosophically in the lyrics but then you also have that in the samples and I didn't know it at the time, but the sample from Rebirth of Slick is from an Art Blakey record, and the bass line is a a sample of the bass solo in the beginning of the song, which is this classic iconic bass line. You know, and it's like a it's like that bass line. It was like. It was the sound of the, of the city in that era when that when that song took over. It was like it felt like it was brand new right then. But that was from a Art Blakey record from the eighties or the seventies. It might have been the eighties, and um, so I used to try to play along to it on the drums. I try, and I would learn the pattern, but I couldn't make it feel like how it feels. You know, I couldn't make it. I didn't have that kind of pocket, you know. And uh and so it was just one of those things and then, you know, when I put out my first record uh in 2019, or my first record in this kind of iteration of the kind of music I'm making, I look back on that album and I realized that like what I'm making now probably wouldn't exist if I hadn't discovered that way back then because it was almost like the beginning of the idea of like how can we mix these these uh different forms, art forms, and how can we mix them in ways that it hasn't been mixed already? You know, what are the other connector cables besides the ones that have already been extremely um studied or, or ran through, you know? So yeah. And uh, also, I, I've been touring and playing with Diggable Planets this year, too. So they're definitely on my mind. And I can play that beat now.
3: <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm curious, Did you have you learned anything from working with them that, like, illuminated that uh, record or that track that, uh, you know, surprised you? So much, man.
1: I mean, I, yeah, there's... there's Things about that track and the album and the production overall that I've been wondering about my whole life that now I know. You know what I mean? And, uh, you know, like a lot of that is kind of like not that it's like secrets or private information, but it's like it's stuff that you learn when you're trying to learn how to perform it, you know? And um, so, I was fortunate I have been fortunate enough to, to spend time with Ishmael Butler who is also known as Butterfly and who was the primary producer on most of that music so I got to learn about like how how he approached making those beats you know what I mean and whether you know whether it's break beats or this or that and this that, and I would just ask him a lot of questions and he would he would he would be pretty straight up. With me, you know, and uh, not only that, like we try to figure out ways to approach performance differently. So, um, I put drum triggers on the kick drum and the snare drum, and we figured we went and found the same kicks from the records and chopped them up and used some use some of the technology of today in order to like do some of those things that you know you you might not be able to do in the past and. Uh, yeah, it's been amazing. I mean, I learned a lot. It also talking with him also his uh what's the word? It like it verified some of the things that I was already feeling about producing and making music. You know what I mean? Because I'm a drummer, but I'm also a band leader, right? And so I spent a lot of time trying to figure out how to perform live in a way that still keeps in mind the original music, so a lot of that is dynamics. How hard you're hitting the crash cymbals versus the kick and the snare. and Just kind of basic, this is kind of stuff that great musicians have been mastering for years, but it's something that I'm still over and over having to learn and relearn. And So hanging out with him, I guess what I'm saying is hanging out with him. I realized I wasn't the only person that thought like that as a as a producer performer you know cuz he's saying the same thing like yo the ride symbol should be quiet you know it's kick and snare like keep it hip hop and blah 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 blah, so yeah in the in the moment I guess you know I guess I would put it like this in the moment you know things are fresh and, and new and people really have to make their judgment in the time right so it's like I could see why jazz certain musicians back then maybe didn't embrace it for whatever reason you know if you have a very strong belief system about acoustic music versus electronic music right it's like you can't you can't even get in the room you can't even make it into the room to see if you like dig it on a philosophical level or like if what they stand for is what you stand for you know that kind of thing and um. I understand why it was tough but yeah I mean I'm I'm a product of uh like my father was born in 1937 and so he came of age when Bird and Miles and Dizzy and and Ornette and Thelonious Monk and Eric Dolphy and the you know was like all that, all that stuff was coming of age, and he was becoming an adult during that time. And so, the way I process that music is like, is from that space. And so, I also came up when Public Enemy came up. I came up when DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince it, it became Fresh Prince of Bel Air. And I came up all these strange, you know. Run DMC, NWA, Wu-Tang, Tupac, Biggie, blah, blah, blah. And and so for me, it's just like, I don't have the same kind of emotional reaction as a jazz musician. You know, I'm I'm a hybrid, I'm a product of it. I'm the future thing. And I see it as all my family so it's like it don't matter it don't matter if the uncle didn't get along with the grandfather or or the auntie and the you know what i'm saying it's like that's all my family straight up and uh and so i'm here to rep my family you know if that makes sense <laughs>
0: Beyond Video is a volunteer run video library in Baltimore. Basically, an old school video rental store reimagined with a 21st century nonprofit twist. Beyond offers nearly 30,000 titles from every region, era, and genre of cinema on DVD. Blu ray, and VHS, a collection created by crowdsourcing disc donations from movie lovers like you. With no rental fees or late fees, members get unlimited rentals from their collection for a small monthly donation. Find out more about joining or donating at BeyondVideo.org. Or, when in Baltimore, visit Beyond at 2545 North Howard Street. And for a limited time, new members who mention essential tremors when signing up will get an extra month for free. What do Tony Conrad, Reese Chatham, Captain Beefheart, and Faust have in common? Each have legendary recordings on the Table of the Elements record label. Long out of print, these and other records from the label are available again with the Table of the Elements discovery box. Available only at WithinThings.com Within Things Curiosity Shop has partnered with the label to help continue their legacy of connecting sound with listeners since 1993. Visit WithinThings.com and search Table of the Elements to learn more. The final piece of music overall chose as being essential to forming his sensibilities was Resolution by John Coltrane.
1: by the John Coltrane Quartet from the the album *A Love Supreme um this I think this this song um you know I could pick there's a number of Coltrane songs that I could pick on any number of lists of songs you know what I mean for various reasons and um I probably listen to more Coltrane Train than maybe any other "quote unquote" jazz artist, um, but this song specifically is more of like a, a spiritual influence, like more of like a coming of age as a spirit. Uh, like it was like the song it. it even on the Love Supreme, the album a Love Supreme, it was the song where this is the song where shit got deep. You know what I mean? Where it's like, where it's like, it feels like some kind of battle. Feels like something is, it's a, a it's some big serious movie, and it's like the scene where you realize you got to do the thing that's never been done before. You know, like it's that kind of. It's an epic, you know? And um, so that song, you know, I've listened to this album. Most jazz musicians have had periods where they've listened to this album on repeat for weeks or months or days. Um, And I did that, right? And I I remember listening to it on vinyl and just flipping it over and over and flipping it over and over. But that song was like, it made you realize that there, there was something. To this music that was uh, bigger than you. It wasn't about just your own whatever. It was like this universal consciousness thing. And on top of that, it was serious. And it was like, it felt like life or death, you know, in this music, you know? And so, uh, I mean, a lot of Coltrane songs have affected me like that, but I remember periods in my life where that song would just come on. Like after the bass line uh the sax and the drums and and the piano would come in, and it was like it was like the battle begun, you know, <laughs> oh man, I just loved that feeling, you know, and I just and I over time, I maybe understood it on some level, you know, I had moments playing music where it felt like. You know, we might not be famous at all in in this world. Like, we might just be playing at some pizza shop or whatever, some four-hour gig in New York. But, like, on some plane somewhere, there's a bunch of angels listening, and they, like, focus, and this is serious. You know what I mean? Like, it's hard to explain, but that's the
3: feeling. Well, a a couple things strike me. I mean, one is for – I mean, we've been doing this for – five years now, and I'm, I'm struck by the fact that Coltrane has not come up very often, and that seems strange just because, you know, of how hugely influential he is to all sorts of musicians. I mean, he's come up, but but not as often as you would think, and I wonder if maybe people almost kind of consider him sometimes kind of beyond, you know, uh, an influence, which is, is not to say that that's not you know considering him as an as an influence isn't valid it's just it's strange that he doesn't come up but I totally uh, I, I think I get what you mean and that you know we, the whole show's about talking about music but and music is music but it's also life right I mean that feeling that that he and and the other musicians on that recording get to um is about more than just you know notes and beats it's that's the whole purpose of the recording, right? It's like you say, it's about uh wrestling with something, and that's something that um that I think anybody can relate to, hopefully, if they're worth being around.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> uh, so I have a question. So, you said Coltrane. Some people may think that he's beyond. Do you mean that, like, in the sense of, like, uh, it's almost, like, beyond a human, like, it's hard to, like, look at this person as, like, a, an influence. They're almost like a saintly figure or something. Like, it's beyond something I could check out and try to emulate. It's, like.
3: Kind of, yeah. I mean, obviously, people are influenced by him, but maybe people don't think of him and yeah, in the same way, or they wouldn't, you know, want to say, or could say, could conscience saying, yeah, you know, I heard this and it really made me want to play yeah. a <laughs> saxophone or I heard this and I tried to play like this. Yeah. Right. Cause for a long time, I guess, and this is a little before my time, you know, there were a lot of people who basically sounded just like him and tried really hard to do that. Uh-huh. And, you know, I mean, fair enough, but, um, um, yeah. I don't know I'm just now that I'm thinking about it it's weird that he doesn't come up more because um, some people come up over and over again and you know that doesn't mean that they're greater than he is or he's less great than they are but
1: yeah. oh that's that actually makes sense to me and I think that um, I think it also speaks to it speaks to the times as well you know like I think that um, a lot of the a lot of the ideas and feelings he was dealing with, even the forms, it's just more of a long form thought. And we're we're not in that uh we're not in that space of long form thought like we used to be, you know what I mean? And and even even myself included, I found myself like I really have to sit down and say, Stop, like wait, you know, uh let's not do a 30 second clip of this thing you know like let's not watch these 10 15 second clips let's sit down and listen to this whole record and let's like if you like the record keep listening to this record and you know what I mean it's and it used to be that used to just be the norm you know um if you look at like if you look at like I remember, you know, I was listening to some some songs from the late nineties that I made actually with some friends of mine growing up. That's like some early, some early demos that I made with some people. And I was listening to everybody's raps, and it was like because it was pre MySpace, pre-Facebook, pre-Instagram. You know, we, a lot of what we were talking was kind of ignorant. We were just trying to be shock value and say something wild. But our, our thought patterns had a longer form. It was like in like different kind of words. It didn't have this kind of Instagram approach, you know? It was like long thought out things. And I was like, wow, that's right. We used to have better attention spans, you know?
0: This has been Essential Tremors. Essential Tremors is produced by me, Matt Byers, and Lee Gardner. Essential Tremors is distributed by WYPR Baltimore. For more information about Essential Tremors, go to EssentialPodcast.com. Thanks for listening.